you, you know, grown up, she just kind of expected your parents to sort of figure it out for you, whatever you're going to get. Anybody from that camp? Yeah, okay. Grew up that we came up with Christmas lists. Um, over the last couple of years, we've actually been emailing each other our Christmas list. Get something started, and then my mom and dad will jump in, and then I'll jump in. And when I first uh, married my wife, uh, I thought, oh, I sent out an email to my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my new siblings-in-laws. And I told Jill about it, and she goes, I was like, what? Like, that's what people do, right? And she's like, yeah, what have I done? Like, <laughs> this is a problem. We were fine, the, but it's kind of a funny thing, right? Like, in some segments, some families, it's like, why would you need to do that? I should know what you want, right? And in other families, no big deal. A few years ago, I started to change the subject wish list. Not just my list, but my wish list. And I want to mention that because that changing of a word is something that plays into how we're going to... Wish is different than a hope. A wish is your Christmas list. It's stuff that you, you know, if you get it, great. If you don't get it, not a deep emotional connection to something that you wish for. Wishing for something is different than hoping for something. In series for this Advent season, and hope is not something we just want to take or leave. Hope is something that involves an emotional connection. Dallas Willard is one of my uh, favorite philosophers, theologians, and the way that he defined hope is so wonderful. He said, hope is good. The joyous anticipation of good. Waiting for something good. Waiting for with a smile on your face. Hoping that it will come together because it's a good thing. A wish is something we can take or leave, right? So books on there, some clothes, and then a fish tank. And if you want to know why I want a fish tank, you've got to take me to coffee. But if I don't get a tank, I'm fine. But there are things that I hope for right now that are deeper than my Christmas wish list. And you have these things. In December, there'll be two different people in my family who are looking at some major surgeries. They're going to have these surgeries. It's going to happen. I am joyfully anticipating their healing, their restoration, and the fact that these surgeries, hopefully, will settle. Separately, I have uh, two cousins in my family who just deployed... Uh, uh, one is serving our country in Korea, doing kind of logistics and supplies. The other one is on the front lines in the Middle East. He's in a combat. My hopes are for my cousins. My hopes are that they're safe, that they're able to serve faithfully and do their jobs well. You see how hope is a little bit deeper, a little bit more of a tug at the heart than a wish. Wanting my cousins to come home safely. We talk about hope a lot at Christmas time, and so I just want to begin by saying, what do you hope for? I mentioned a few things. What are, you, what are we hoping for as a church, Bethany? What are our aspirations? What are the things that if we gather, it's gonna, we're going to feel it. It's going to be costly. Pull it off against the Eagles tonight. But that's kind of a shallow hope, right? Are you hoping for draft picks? No. Hoping to live, to see the day when our children don't have to hear about things like racism and sexism and classism, that those things are so... Are we hoping for that? That's a good thing to hope for. There are couples who are hoping to get pregnant. Wait. And it's hard. There are those of us who are struggling with our kids and going, I hope they learn how to love him and serve him every day of their life. Those are good things to hope for. As each of us has a look to see, there are people in our scriptures who hoped for Messiah, one who is yet to come, and they waited patiently for it. And we have some lessons we can learn from them. And if you hear nothing else of Christmas, our hope is Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Jesus Christ is our hope. What do I mean when I say that? I mean that our hope is not is just sort of nebulous and out there. Our hope is a person. Our hope is a real life who actually came to earth. And that is what we celebrate every year for this miracle, this incredible moment. When a new life comes into the world that is unlike any other kind of new life that ever came before or ever was hope. So we're going to look at three different faces, three different angles on hope this morning, starting with Isaiah that Heather read from, that Bree read, and then finally we're going to touch on the Apostle Paul. And in each, what were these people hoping for? Toward what end did they turn their faces? What would be the thing that if it didn't come together for them, it would have been something difficult for them to bear? So let's start with Isaiah. This is in your bulletin. The heading is Promises Are Made. Each section, I want to kind of give us a little thing to start with at the top that I think is the way this particular person would have stated their hope, right? Like, let's up to him and say, hey, what are you hoping for right now? What do you want to see in your life? Here's what I think he would have said. The people of God listen to God. I hope that they'll listen to God, and I hope their sufferings will come to an end. Now, why would Isaiah hope for that? His job was to go to the people of God and oftentimes to tell them things that they didn't want to hear. He has to say to them, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Isaiah also served the Lord during a time in Israel's history when things were really messy. Into two kingdoms, and throughout Isaiah's life, these two kingdoms were ruled not by gracious, generous windsheads, by guys that just could not get it together. They could not see the people of Israel in a good direction. Poor leadership at the top translated. There were tons of conflicts throughout the country, and during an especially dark season, kind of right in the middle, we think, of Isaiah's life, the nation of Assyria took over a chunk of the country. Now, this is hard for us to conceive, those of us who grew up here in the United States, but if you grew up abroad, or if you have friends who live in developing countries in Central America, this is their story. Their place, and you hope that things go well, but then somebody comes in and they take away your freedom. Or... If you're familiar with the plight of a lot of countries and government after another, after another, after another, trying to get in there, make stuff right, it doesn't happen. So the people of Israel in Isaiah, we want that stability. And God gives them the prophet, Isaiah, to say, here's how you're going to get there. But it's not what they wanted to hear. In 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah 1 through 39, is all about how Israel is missing the mark. How they are not rolling up to what God things like mercy and justice and forgiveness. These are not part of your way of life, Israel. You're missing out. That's the beginning of Isaiah. But then, thankfully, the chapter turns to chapter 40. You get an incredible glimpse of Messiah. Remember how hope is the joyous anticipation of the good? This is where the disanticipation of the people of God starts to come together because Isaiah starts to tell them, Here's what Messiah is going to be like. Turn with me in your Bibles to a Bible app. Go ahead and turn that on. Fire that up. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read verses 4. This is the hope. This is the joyous anticipation of good. Every valley shall be lifted up low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all of the Lord has spoken. That's a picture, but it's all into the future, and the promise is the future is going to be good. The future is going to be really good. Turn to your neighbor and say, the future is real good. Why would we be able to say that? Think about what's being depicted in this passage. You're in a war-torn country. There's different rulers over you. You don't know what to trust. There's instability everywhere. And the message of the prophet is the rough places will become smooth. The land where it's barren and where we can't get anything to grow, stuff is going to start to flourish and grow out of that. 
There will be freedom from God's glory, his beauty, his majesty, his awe-inspiring grace. It's about to break out. It's coming. It's an amazing portrait. Isaiah is saying to his people is, you can feel that joy right now. You can start to feel coming. I know it's not here yet, but it will be here. You can trust this promise. Isaiah's message to the people of Israel, if we kind of one big chunk, and this is a message for us too, is stop thinking you're okay. Stop thinking you have this figured out. You can't. The Israelites were lost and wondering, and so are we, which is why Isaiah 40 goes on to coming to rescue them, and guess who it is? It's a shepherd. It's not a warrior. It's not someone with all these huge armies, although he does have Isaiah, is a shepherd. Look at Isaiah 40 again with me. Look at verse 11. This is talking about Messiah. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. If you're hungry and tired, if you are broken down, if you're like the Israelites and your country has been invaded, the kingdom apart, you can be encouraged by verse 11. You can be encouraged if you're in leadership at your company. If you're trying to get all the things together that you desire, Jesus is caring for you as you do that. The shepherd is with real in your lives. And when we depend on him, when we see his power breaking forth in our lives, that's when we start to see the hope. So what was Isaiah's hope? I hope these people listen. I hope their sufferings come to an end. This only happens when people put their hope in Jesus. The joy now and brings the good later. And how are we doing anticipating that? If you've been thinking of something kind of back from my introduction, like, I hope this gets made right. I hope I can make good grades in my classes that doesn't land on my desk. If those are your hopes, great. But how are we doing in anticipating the good with us? Is that what we picture? I'll tell you, it's not what I picture a lot of the time. I, I don't know what it is. I tend deep down, but sometimes I can kind of be a fatalist and be like, well, this isn't going to go that great. I don't have the resources I need. I don't have the people. I don't have the time to prepare. I don't have attitude, not an attitude of abundance. This is a call to abundance, friends. This is a call to saying, you know what? I know what Jesus does, and he is my shepherd. And if my shepherd knows how to take care of me, I'm good. It's how to take care of you, Bethany. You're good. You're good. And nothing can stand in your way as you move forward and it is available to us all the time. And so the people of Israel... The message that Isaiah wanted to bring to them is suffering comes to an end. Now let's talk about what John was hoping for. John had a real simple hope. For John's hope was, I hope the stories I've heard all my life are true. I hope that the stories I've heard throughout my life, if you on your own time will go and read Luke chapter 1, which is one of the classic kind of Advent passages, you'll see a portrait of this. John is one of Jesus' cousins. And there are these remarkable things that happen throughout John, even before he takes his first breath. When John was still in his mother's womb, an angel came to his dad, told him about the life of the messenger, this herald to prepare people for Messiah. And then John, when he was still in his mother's womb, he was Mary, and he jumps in the womb. He leaps inside of his mother, gives, gives her a terrible tummy ache. And then he moves on to the next thing who'd been struck silent for nine months was able to speak again. All these miraculous things. Now, don't you think throughout John's life, when it was dinner time, sometimes, right? Like, don't you think they would tell him these stories? Like, and I, I think in a more reverential way, but as I was trying to picture this in my own family, I could picture it being like, hey, John, you've got this really important job to do. How seven? Like, I haven't started working on the job yet. I don't, I don't know. John, you, 
do you remember when you jumped inside my womb? I really don't. That, that, I don't have that memory. Son, have I ever told you about how you got your name? Yes, Dad, you've told me that like a And I mentioned that kind of humorously, but I think that helps us get ourselves into John's place, into his vantage point, to see the world through his lenses. Because I don't think he just dusted those stories like I just did kind of humorously. I think he heard it. And because he was someone steeped in the scriptures, growing up around the culture of the that to talk about Messiah was a really big deal. And for his life to somehow be connected to Messiah was a really big deal. John and all the people around him are waiting, waiting, waiting for Messiah. 100 years, we think, since the last prophet spoke to Israel. There's been this incredible time of silence and a hard time of silence because the people, all of a sudden it dries up. All of a sudden it goes quiet. And so John steps into this role. We don't exactly know how all this comes together. He takes on this mantle of leadership. He stands in front of the people of God. And if you turn with me to John chapter 1, you see how he starts to use as a leader to invite his people into hope. John chapter 1. Are listening to John as he ministers in the wilderness. Something has happened to him where he's really stepped into this role. And then Paul looking guy, he's teaching and baptizing people. And the religious leaders or people sent by say, are you the Messiah? They ask him point blank. And don't you know that with his history, with all that he's heard about Messiah through his life, it kind of takes him back, right? I'm not Messiah. And so then the people around him go, okay, so why are you so weird? Like what, what's the deal here? They start asking him questions. And he says, no, the questions keep coming. And then he says this in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, he is preparing the way. He knows what he's there to do. Some of the stories as a kid, hearing what his life was supposed to be about, all these miraculous things that happened to him, even before he's born, he's preparing the way. Jesus arrives on the scene. Messiah has arrived. The priest comes into John's presence. John baptizes him. The heavens open up and the party is on. And what do you think John's hope felt like now? Heard all my life are true. I bet you the minute he saw Jesus, the minute he felt Jesus' presence coming into his vicinity, he just knew this is the guy. He says later on, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal. This guy is so... John only could have had that reaction if he waited and hoped faithfully. If he joyously anticipated the good, we wait and we hope. The Israelites were waiting and hoping. John was waiting and hoping. I didn't know it, but I had a similar question to John's hope. I hope the stories I've heard all my life are true. I couldn't have said that to you, but part of my conversion story is there was a moment opened it up for me and showed me that the stories about Jesus were true. They're true. They're not stories. They're the And I love that the hope that I think John was able to live into is the hope that eventually changed my life. So what are we hoping for a set of stories to come true? About our career? About family? About marriage? Well, only are we hoping for things that are actually just going to let us down? When we wait, when we hope for resurrection and for all these things to come in and change our lives, that waiting is still, how are we doing as we wait? How are you and I doing as we wait patiently for Messiah to come? Who are we turning to as we us and encourage us? If we are in relationship with people who are far from God, and I hope we all are, how are we and don't have this hope of Jesus? And how can we point them toward his hope graciously and winsomely? 
Isaiah hoped that people would listen and that their suffering would come to an end. Now let's talk about the Apostle Paul and what he hoped for. Incredible story in his life. He had a life before he became Paul. He was a zealot. He was a guy that persecuted people of faith. I think his hope is sort of grounded in his new understanding that he comes to through Jesus. This is what I think he would say. I hope that I get to live into this gift of salvation. I hope that I get to live into Let me explain a little bit. For Paul, his conversion was not a simple his hope and his strength and his power until the moment when Jesus came into his life was all founded on things that he could control, all founded on things, positioned to build himself up. He was what I would call religiously affluent in terms of his religion. And anytime someone is rich, thing, we just want to keep that going. We don't want to get off that train. Let's keep it rolling. But then something happened where Paul's train incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was transformed and he wasn't looking where you're not looking for it, and all of a sudden your life is changed or someone else's life around you has changed. He, his encounter with Jesus cost him everything, and he, can, and he gained a completely new hope for his life. Salvation not by works, which is what he was... Salvation is a gift. And that is where I think this hope became real for him. I hope I get to live into this gift that I've been... Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And one is this Advent series is we'll touch on themes from Romans 8 and how it applies to these Advent texts. I'm going to read Romans 8 into these words. This is the Apostle Paul writing, the guy that never wanted himself sold out and following him for the rest of his life. Paul writes, For in hope we were saved. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For in hope we were saved. What does that mean? What is he talking about? That conjunction at the beginning, for, can also... So think about it this way. Because of hope, we were saved. Well, what hope is he talking about? The hope he's described earlier in the book of Romans, it's the hope of reconciliation. It's the hope of being made right with God and with other people. So turn with me. Romans 5 verse 10 says this, same person writing, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved. But we were enemies with God. Paul knew he was an enemy of God, even though he was doing all these important religious things. His life was broken. He knew. And he embraced the hope that was given to him. It's back to that theme from Isaiah. We always think, I've got this. I've got this. We need a shepherd. We need Messiah. We need his rescue. And Paul's hope, if you go back to the Romans 8 passage, he knows that salvation's a gift. And I don't know that he knew that before. I don't think he knew that salvation, that he didn't earn it, he didn't have to prop himself up to get it. Scripture. We can't do it. We think we're good, but we're not. And Paul says, I'm going to hope for that gift in my life. All the things he wanted to accomplish, all the goals he set for himself, all changed in a moment because he could hear, and the gift changed everything. So you want to hope for something good? You want to align your life? We bring life, not bring destruction. Hope for the good. Joyously anticipate the good of the gift that Paul received. It matters now and forever. The joyous anticipation of good that every human heart longs for is the he bestows. And whether you resonate with, I hope the people, 
or I hope the stories are true, or I hope to live into this gift of salvation, if I hope to take this gift seriously, ever those stack up for you, the hope is real. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it is real. And I'm confident that we can all connect with some form of hope right now that really doesn't need to be there. It'll let us down. And we're there with our head, we're there with our hearts, but we need more than that. We don't need to just hope for something ethereal. Things about talking about hope is, it always feels kind of loosey-goosey, like what do we mean by that? And we've talked about that definition. I want to leave us with, a, because power is where hope starts to become real. If you read, you get this incredible picture of what Messiah is coming to do. And what I want to highlight in this last passage for us is that there is a for me. Listen to this. This is talking about Messiah, talking about the shepherd. He gives power to the faint. And even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's power. He will give us his power, this hope that is our gift. Anytime I've been studying and preparing and thinking about this, reading through Isaiah 40, the reality of scarcity that I struggle with, when I think about power and the power that's been given to me, it helps me get through that. That helps me see that there is a different way forward. My encouragement today as we close is that we could be a people completely on Jesus' power. And I want to be more like this. I bet most of you do too where I'm trusting that there is power sources beyond my imagination, that the potent life and hope of Jesus is more than just something ethereal. It's something that I can bank. Jesus' power is active in our world today, friends. I'm seeing it in my life. I'm seeing it heal people's souls. grief. But I'm seeing this as I walk with these people as their pastor. They are recovering from their grief, and it is Jesus' power that is making them whole again. In helping me and helping others make new connections with people who are far from God who I've been praying for, had the opportunity to share part of my faith story with him. It was scary as all get out, but it was wonderful because it came forth in my relationship with my neighbor. Jesus' power is deepening my friendships. It's calling me to be more vulnerable with the people of vulnerability, with people that I'm starting to get to know. That is something that only Jesus' power can motivate and move me toward scarcity. So how about us? How about you? What would you do differently if you walked out of here today and you knew that Jesus, and that if it's his purposes and his design for your life and for my life, then it's going to come together. And no, we don't know how it's all exactly it means, but we know that the hope is real. What would, as we consider what would be different, I want to invite the worship team to come join me up here as we prepare our hearts for the table. Place to talk about hope and to talk about power. Because it wasn't a place of grandeur. It wasn't a place of anything except a meal, a simple meal. And so I'll invite those who are serving communion to come join me up here. Bethany, we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, simple bread, simple juice he offered to his people. And so I offer these for our nourishment so that the power of Christ can break forth in our lives in bigger and bigger ways. Before we come to this table, I want to confession, so please join me in prayer. Gracious God, for giving us your power and giving us the hope that we have in you. We know that whenever we come to the door, somehow worthy or having earned anything, we know that just like the Apostle Paul, this time is a gift. This time to us as you give these elements, as you use these men and women to serve us, 
God, would you use these simple elements? And in these moments of silence, would you prepare our hearts by helping us confess, by helping us hold out to you the things that have burdened us. Maybe there's a hope to have. Maybe there's something that we're thinking about that we can't find our way through. Maybe there's a sin that we just snap our fingers and make it go away. We would. Sins do not keep us from you. Our sins are what you use to rescue us because you show us our brokenness and you welcome us. Hear us as we confess to you silently. Jesus, we thank you that when there was no hope, you made a way. When the people of Israel were broken, you made a way. And when our brokenness, when our sins bewilder us and confuse us, and we go, I thought I was over there, you extend your hand of grace to us and say, let me show you the way. So we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that through the whole thing, and as we come to the table as forgiven people, with each step, with each piece of bread, with each drink from the cup. May this come together in your Amen. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, his friends, and he took bread. Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this and remember me. A little while later, when they were celebrating, Jesus poured out the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins for men. Often as we take in the simple bread and simple juice, we get to experience God's grace in a powerful way. The apostle came, his life and his death and his resurrection, just by coming to the table, just by coming to the table. Because we do so in faith, we do so believing that the Holy Spirit does something powerful during this time. So if you are hungry, if you have any concerns about allergies, we have gluten-free elements here, which our servers are happy to give to you. So you can come forward back to your seats along the side aisles. These folks will serve you the bread and say, this is Christ's body broken for you. And you can take the bread whenever you're ready and say, this cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Please take the cup back to your seat. and then Friends, this is the table of God with the gifts of God for the people of God. Starting in the back as you're ready to